0: In chapter 2 and beginning in verse 23, we, we learn that it's a Sabbath. Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as disciples were walking along, they began to pick some of the heads of grain. And then in verse 24, the Pharisees said, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? <clears throat> so you realize that it, even though it's a Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples are walking along the road, and there are Pharisees that are with them. And I, what was the were the Pharisees there to be the traffic cop? Because you would not expect that if Jesus and disciples were moving, that Pharisees would be tailing along behind them. But apparently they were. And they're right there to call him out that very moment. And to say, wait a minute, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? <clears throat> Understand they weren't stealing. They were gleaning. The instruction in the Old Testament to those who were farmers, and almost all were, it was an agricultural community. All of Israel was an agricultural community. <clears throat> was that they were at harvest time to leave The fringe of their fields unharvested so that those who did not have food, what we would call maybe homeless or street people, they could come along, glean what was left on the outer fringes of the fields and have something to eat. It was God's way of providing for those that didn't have enough or maybe hardly anything to have something. And they were permitted to do that. So it's not like the disciples were stealing from the farmers. They were doing what was lawful, as set down in the law in the Old Testament, by God. They were just gleaning. And and they weren't harvesting either. Because if they were harvesting, they would be gathering it together in order to sell it. And they weren't doing that. All they were doing was gathering something to eat that day. And the fact that they were not harvesting was probably what the the Pharisees were referencing. You're harvesting this stuff, and and you're going to sell it. You're going to make some money on it. And and that's not good. Harvesting would be uh, for personal gain. But it wasn't for personal gain because they were there feeding themselves. And Jesus always has an answer. Jesus is never dumbstruck. He's never, hmm, I hadn't thought of that before. Nothing ever surprised Jesus. This event did not surprise Jesus. He knew it was going to happen. And he knew, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, what his response needed to be. So how does he respond to this accusation? Verse 25. So he turns to the Pharisees, and says, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? And in the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God, ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful, only for priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is actually rebutting their charge because the Pharisees were about rules. Do you know anybody, do you have a friend that's all about rules, okay? They're, they're OCD, okay? I mean, I am to an extent, all right? I was walking in the parking lot today, and I, one of the cars is not parked within the lines, okay? <laughs> but I'll let it pass, because I'm not out there controlling traffic. I'm not the traffic cop. But anyway, that's what these guys were. They had developed 39 rules... For the Sabbath. And you had to follow the list. Which meant, of course, you had to know the list. And if you didn't lo- know the list, they were quick to point their finger at you and said, Aha! Because you'd broken one of the rules that they had developed for what was allowable and what was not allowable on the Sabbath. You couldn't spit on the Sabbath. Because your spittle would hit the dust. And the dust would move. And that would indicate that you might be plowing on the Sabbath. I know, ridiculous. But it's one of the 39 that they had for the Sabbath. And this is another one <coughs> that they're calling his disciples out on. Wait a minute, you can't do that. You can't harvest on the Sabbath. You can't even glean on the Sabbath, they said. And Jesus turns around <coughs> And goes all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way to King David, before he was king. When he was fleeing Saul. And says, wait a minute. Did you forget, historically, back yonder. That when David and his men were fleeing Saul. And they were hungry and had nothing to eat. And when they stopped by one of the temples. And... There was the showbread on the table. Now the showbread was for the priest and his family and those who served there. And it was lawful for them to eat it after it had been dedicated to God and offered to God. And then when it was cleaned off the table and a new offering was brought in, then it was distributed to the Levites that were there, and that was theirs to eat. It was not for anyone else. And that included the potential king, King David. <clears throat> and so Jesus said, don't you remember what David and his companions did when they were hungry and in need? They entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful for only the priests to eat. And did God do anything to David? No. To his Companions? No. They needed sustenance. They got sustenance. And God didn't. There was no punishment meted out to David and his men because of that. And then Jesus says in verse 27, The Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath for our benefit. By taking a day of rest, we're able to be restored physically and spiritually. Some have asked, How come you didn't make it to the um, Friends Giving? Yeah, <laughs> yesterday. I'm trying to figure out how to put the words together. For the last three and a half weeks, um, I'm a substitute teacher. I've been doing substitute teaching since 1993 when uh, I'd finished a six-year pastorate at a church in Honolulu. And for over a year, uh, one of my uh, deacons in the church was also a high school principal at Hawaii Baptist Academy. He said, you know, if you want to make some extra money on your day off, why don't you come in and substitute? I had never thought I could be a school teacher before. And I said, okay. And maybe once a month, because they didn't have that much demand for substitute teachers, I would spend a Monday at Hawaii Baptist Academy. And then in 1993, when I ceased being a full-time pastor, I knew why I had been given that opportunity, because the Lord was changing direction in my life, And I was going to become bivocational, okay? Part-time preacher, part-time teacher. And I went into the public schools because there were more jobs in the public schools than in one private school as a substitute teacher. And I did not understand until the first day of substitute teaching in a public school why the Lord wanted me in public schools. Tenth grade English, And in the first period class, on the first day of school, 10th grade English, there was one girl who was pregnant. There was another girl who was pregnant for the second time. We're talking about 15-year-olds. One girl's pregnant. The second girl is pregnant for the second time. I had been spending so much time... In a church, in a pastorate, in a study, thinking, I know what my people are going through. That I didn't realize that I had no clue as to what was happening outside the church walls and the pastor's office until that day. And I've loved it ever since. I had never thought I could relate to teenagers. And I had two of my own until that day and then it was there I am there I am there I am I've had the most fun in the last three weeks directing choir and band because I used to be a minister of music when I was in college and in seminary I was serving churches choir program all of this until the Lord said nope that's not what I've called you to do I want you in the pulpit ministry okay change directions get into the pulpit ministry but I've been doing that for over 25 years and I've had the most fun doing it I I tolerate a lot (laughs) and teenagers sometimes need people to tolerate a lot and I've done it I've been patient with them worked with them listened to them crying listened to their stories been able to recognize when there's something going on in one of their lives? <clears throat> Have you ever asked a teenager, how was school today? You're not on the inside. They'll tell you, oh, it was okay. It was fine. But you don't know how to say, but I'm a teacher. I know better than that. How was school really today? And then they begin to open up a little more. Because they know that you know what their lives are like on a daily basis. We had one flute player that for several days and she's in the marching band too. She never had her flute with her. And I called her aside one day and said, Jocelyn, where's your flute? Well, it's at home. But I... I'm staying with mom and we're sleeping in her business at night. So I haven't been able to get it. Can I help you? Do you need me to go over to your house where your father is and get it? No, she said, I'll have it tomorrow. And she did. And she had her flute for the rest of the time that I was there. It's finding out these things about kids and about what goes on in their lives. Anyway, <clears throat> um, I discovered in seminary that Sabbath is not the seventh day of the week. It's not Sunday, okay? Uh, because halfway through seminary, my GI Bill ran out. I had to go get a real job. And <clears throat> in Louisville, there's, there's two big airfields. There's the Stanford Field, which is all jet aircraft and that, all that stuff, and they have a general aviation field that's about two and a half miles from seminary that is one of the busiest general aviation fields in the United States. They've got flight schools there. They've got planes all the time, in and out. And they were looking for someone to work 4 to 12, <coughs> 5 days a week. My days off were Tuesday and Wednesday. So on Sunday, after church, <coughs> I went to work from 4 to 12, as security for the airfield. And in case there was a fire, I had a thing on the back of my truck, I could put the fire out with foam, something like that. And that's when I discovered that my Sabbath was not Sunday. My Sabbath was another day of the week. And I I got out of that rut of believing that the Sabbath was only Sundays. Because Jesus didn't say Sabbath was only Sunday. Of course, back then they didn't have a Monday through Sunday calendar either, so he wouldn't say that anyway. That's when I discovered that there were some things about the Sabbath that had been blocked into my life that I needed to change, perhaps. Being in South Carolina in the 60s, if you've ever been in the South, nah, you're not that old, (laughs) Um, You may not have ever heard of a blue law. Blue laws were instigated at the push of ministers over 100 years ago. And what the blue laws were, everything is closed on Sunday except church. Because that was the only thing you could do on Sunday. Everything else was closed, period. Now, Charleston, being a bit of a multicultural kind of city, had modified their blue law. Their blue law was you could be open on Saturday or you could be open on Sunday, but you could not be open both days because there was a large Jewish population in Charleston. And so they're going to be closed on Saturday, but they wanted to be open on Sunday. So Charleston modified their laws and let them do that. But I'd never heard of blue laws before until that time. And now all the blue laws are gone. In all of this... All of the states in the South. Because over time, and Walmart and things like that, more and more stores became open, except for Chick-fil-A. Except for Chick-fil-A. And those of you that have been a part of this place from the very beginning know about the relationship we had early on with Chick-fil-A and one of its franchisees. So here's Jesus trying to break the mold of their minds, the Pharisees' minds, that the Sabbath was all about keeping 39 rules and nothing else. And this is how he does it, <clears throat> okay? Here we are. We need to be re- restored physically. We need to be restored spiritually. We need to rest, and we need time to focus on God. But, but for the Pharisees, the Sabbath rules were more important than sabbath rest the rules were more important than sabbath rest but for jesus the sabbath was an opportunity to demonstrate god's love he demonstrated in ministry he healed on the sabbath he allowed his disciples to be fed on the sabbath he exercised demons on the sabbath because for him the sabbath was about ministry about doing for people as they had need and not saying, oh, (laughs) not today, see me tomorrow. Or, oh, the Sabbath just began, you're late, you'll have to wait 24 hours. It was about instantly doing what needed to be doing for the best outcome possible for the people that he was ministering to. You see, the Sabbath, the Pharisees used the Sabbath, the rules of the Sabbath, to point out people's failings, and instead of pointing a finger at them and saying, this is wrong in your life, Jesus comes along and says, look, let me point you toward God, because that's what Jesus wanted to do. Jesus was all about pointing people toward God. He was not worried about their faults their foibles, their fallacy. He was worried about whether or not he could put them in God's purview, that he could put them so that they would look at God and look for God in him <clears throat> and then come to God and come to Christ. I learned a long time ago, we used to say, well, have you witnessed for God today? And a lot of people said, well, I haven't spoken orally to somebody but I want my life to show that don't work when's the last time someone came up to you and said you know I've noticed there's something different about you when's the last time somebody came to you and said that I can't recall the last time somebody said that about me and well you know, here's a minister. Surely people would notice there's something different about his life. But I, I look just like everybody else. I look like you, well, mostly, not all. But, but, but it's not what we, what we look like that's going to attract them as much as our conversation with them about their relationship to God. I never get on an airplane and expect that the person next to me knows God, knows Christ, when we sit down. Um, I, I have very rarely found that to be the case. But I'm going to engage that person next to me in some conversation and see where we can go in recognizing whether or not Christ is in their lives as much as he's in my life. I've met some fun people, but very few have I met that are actually ready to say, Yes, I'm a Christian, or Yes, I believe in Christ. And most of the time, if you get on an airplane, the same thing's going to be for you as well. Most people aren't, no, they're not going to volunteer that. So they have to be able to see or have to be able to hear. Not just see, but hear that there's a difference in your life. And maybe <clears throat> that's why God is placing them next to you on the airplane in that seat. <clears throat> Paul told the Corinthians, you know what? <clears throat> I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I learned to be satisfied with that not everybody I talk to or perhaps share Christ with is going to come to faith in Christ. And maybe I'm there to plant a seed. Maybe I'm there to water the seed that somebody else has already planted. Maybe I'm there to actually see somebody say, you know, God's been moving in my life. How How do I have faith in Christ? How do I know That when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And then God gets the increase. God gets the glory for the salvation that has occurred. That's why God puts us with people that he does. And it could be any day of the week. So, Jesus has said, I have the power to heal. Whether it be leprosy or paralysis I have the power to call people to me and change their lives, like he did Levi just a few verses before this. Or that I have the power to change your beliefs about fasting and to change your beliefs about what does the Sabbath really mean. Do we use the Sabbath as a time to point people toward God? or to point a finger at them. If you're confronted with the rules of your own or or rules of others making, let let me suggest four questions to you. Question number one, does the rule serve God's purposes? Does the rule serve God's purposes? Question number two, does the rule reveal God's character? Does the rule reveal God's character? Number three, does the rule help bring people into God's family or does it keep them out? Jesus' condemnation of the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, he condemned them seven times over because those rules that they were utilizing, that they were practicing We're keeping people out of the kingdom, not bringing them into the kingdom. And the fact that they had, you know, shared part of the temple with money changers and animal vendors and things like that was keeping people out of a house of prayer. They weren't pointing people toward God. And number four. Does the rule have biblical roots that can be supported in the context of all Scripture? See, that's how Jesus rebuted, refuted rather, the Pharisees. He went back to the old text, to the story of David, and pointed out to them that in the context of Scripture, your complaint about my disciples gleaning and eating on the Sabbath day It does not hold water. Your your argument is uh, fallacious. It's fallacy. Does the rule serve God's purpose? Does the rule reveal God's character? Does the rule help bring people into God's family or keep them out? And does the rule have biblical roots that can be supported in the context of all scripture? What is it? What does it do? Does it bring glory to God? Or is it a hindrance to people finding God? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, so many times you challenge our practices. Sometimes we have to say, That's not right. That's not biblical. I've got to change. And change is hard. And yet, you call us to change. To going with you when we're confronted with change. Everybody that's been here for a year knows the tremendous change King's Cross has gone through in the year. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have composed a group of leaders and people that are adaptive to change. Because we cannot go with you if we're unwilling to change. We can't stay rooted in the past when you're moving your people into the future every single day. I thank you, Father, for Jesus who teaches us that like him we are to be pointing people to you. And to people who will exhibit their faith in Christ as well. May we, Heavenly Father, not be so locked into rules that we harm the people that you are calling to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Do you do that? Does your life point people to Christ? Not just your life, but your words. Do your words speak of Jesus? And when you have an opportunity to engage people you do not know, within five minutes, if they haven't spoken to you about Christ in their life, have you spoken to them about Christ in your life? Have you said, you know what, I've got this unspeakable joy that's in my life that I don't know if you've got it too, but um, can I tell you what it is? You know what, I'm not worried about death. Why aren't you worried about death? What? Man, I'm going to a place that's much better than this. Wait a minute, San Diego's America's finest city. What's better than this? <laughs> Honolulu, no. <laughs> and have you said to them, you know, there's this heavenly place. You know. I was at a service Wednesday, a memorial service for a member at First Baptist that had passed away just the previous week. I was at his bedside when he did. God allowed me to be there with his family to pronounce his benediction as... He did literally breathe his last and offer up his spirit to be with his God in heaven. And people need to know that there's an assurance about that. All of his family are Christian. They they weren't crying because he had passed away. They were so happy because the pain was gone and there was joy in his life. And now there was more joy because he was with Jesus in heaven. And there was no doubt about it in in the room, in any of the lives of his brother and his friends and his wife and his grandchildren. No doubt about it. He'd gone to be with the Lord. And you can ask somebody else, hey, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? know where I'm going to spend eternity. It would be great to see you there. We never know about the rest of today or tomorrow. If you've read the stories about the Paradise Fire, that fire was going at the rate of 300 yards a minute. People didn't have time. That's why the death toll is going to be so high. It was just wow. I heard a story yesterday on PBS about one man that was in an electric wheelchair and he was trying to get out of town on the electric wheelchair. Some men pulled up and put him on in their van and took him out because it was not going fast enough. Fire was moving faster than that. Just like that a lot of people want to be with the Lord or not that's always a question you can ask what's your hope placed in is it in rules or is it in the Lord let's reflect on that